0: Creeds and criticism meet.
1: You're listening to the Split Frame of Reference podcast.
2: the Split Frame of Reference podcast. I'm Allison.
1: And I'm Nick. And today we are talking about communal com- complicity. The uh, first specifically we're talking about the group patterns uh, concerning abuse and gender gender equity in the context of gender and race. And today we have an expert with us. So it's not just me sounding off.
2: <laughs> yeah so um, I've known uh, Griselle Medina for quite a while um, through Christians for Biblical Equality and We've been wanting to do this podcast for a very long time. Um, actually, maybe, has it been a year? I don't know. Um, but That's probably a bit more, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, we just, Yeah, we just immediately hit it off. Um, so Chris, let me tell you a little bit about Griselle, uh, Reverend Griselle. Um, she's ordained in the Evangelical Covenant Church and served two terms as chairperson of the ECC Commission on Biblical Gender Equality. Hmm. Um, and by the way, she was the first Hispanic to do so. Awesome. Um, She won the Lifetime Achievement Award at CBE International for advocating for women at all levels of of leadership, both inside and outside of the church. Um, She's done work in a a variety of areas, um, abuse, um, specifically like spotting predators in churches. Um, She worked on the Called and Gifted series um, Mm -hmm. for the Evangelical Covenant Church. Um, and especially right now, she does church planning and um, leadership and community development.
1: Planted three churches, right, Doc?
0: Yes, I've planted three churches and survived, and I'm still here. Yay!
1: <laughs> With your soul intact, as they say.
0: Yes.
1: Wonderful. Yes,
0: a little bit chipped, you know, along the way, some chips and some imperfections in there. Yeah.
1: I suspect that happens. I've been a pastor for a year and a half and boy, it it'll I found my first gray hair yesterday. It was nestled along oh, all the yeah. other 50 gray hairs that I've started to find.
2: Yeah, I was going to say first. Sure <laughs> no. <know> <laughs> 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 the secrets.
0: Yeah. And yeah. thank you You'll for. will have many more, Nick.
1: Yeah, You'll have no. many more. Yeah, I know. Having a kid's going to probably, you know, Quadruple the amount of gray hairs I have, but thanks for uh, yes. for being on with us, Reverend. We really appreciate finally getting the time to have you on. So it's it's a delight and a pleasure for us.
0: Thank you.
2: Yeah. So let me um, at, before we get into our topic, um, what I guess what brought
0: you into the types of work that you do now? Yeah.
1: You know, what What's the story behind all of this?
0: Well, the story behind all of this is that my mother was a survivor of domestic violence. Mm. So as a child, my first, my earliest memories of were of domestic violence, mm-hmm. and um, so I became a, a advocate as a child for my mother, mm-hmm. um, who was uh, who suffered um, tremendous abuse uh, from my father. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my story. I kind of fell into this advocacy, not even knowing that I what the word advocacy meant Mm -hmm. at the time, Uh, and because I knew Spanish and English, I was fluent in both languages, I ended up having to do a lot of the translating when um, the police were called uh, to come to my home to stop my father from continuing his violent outbursts. Mm. So that is kind of my story in a nutshell. And then, of course, then I became a, a, a Christian. I did advocacy work within uh, the churches that I planted, also the denominations um, that I was affiliated with. I was raised Catholic, uh, came to faith in the Baptist church, um, and then... Uh, Became a church planter with the Assemblies of God, and then ended up with the Evangelical Covenant Church. So, there's not a lot of denominations I have not been a part of, <laughs> in one in one form or another.
2: Yeah,
1: that's wonderful.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's that's tough, especially as a kid to have to be launched into the middle of this.
1: Yeah, it's like you have to grow yes. up very, very quickly and all that sort of stuff. Kind of gives a lie to the idea that, oh, children, it should be innocent. It's like, well, yes, but there is just such a thing that happens as life. And if you don't have a theo- theological grounding to go through that sort of thing, it, it just, it'll destroy you. So it's it, that's a yes. remarkable story.
0: Yes, and um, being... Being in a in a church where um, patriarchy was uh, celebrated mm. and hierarchy was was um, was highly celebrated, every time that we went to the church to ask for help, they basically brought back the um, the hyper submission mm. narrative mm. and rhetoric. So I was very familiar with that terminology and those and those kind of narratives Mm -hmm. but what I didn't understand was how God a loving God which they said in the same sentences as submit to your husband and then how was a loving God allowing all of this and Mm -hmm. how could the church ask us as a family to continue in these types of patterns that were very destructive. So, those were my challenges as a child growing up how do you How do you balance a loving God and then balance what what does it mean to have justice in those types of environments
1: and it's a uh, especially a mark of shame for the church that the church is not or was not or can often not be a source of justice for those who need it most, which I don't know about you, but that that becomes i don't know
2: it's the reinforcing um worldview pattern for abuse yeah. and I yes. yeah i don't remember if some of you guys remember when i was talking about annette um Altman's uh seminar mm-hmm. um for the cbe conference but one of the one of the things that's always there in all abusive um relationships is this reinforcing worldview mm. um and yes. oftentimes it's Patriarchy, It can be other things, too, but, and sometimes it's, you know, different forms of racism or assumptions about race. Um, it could be understandings um, of, you know, being superior to the person or group being targeted. But in this case, that was the reinforcing um, worldview that allowed abuse to continue. and gave Yes, life. and...
0: And and the thing is that it becomes then, that's where the communal complicity comes in. Mm. Because people knew about what was going on in my home. My, um, of course, people in my neighborhood knew what was going on. Um, the people, my family members knew what was going on. The church knew what was going on. Mm. But nobody wanted to talk about it.
2: Mm. So, question, when you say they knew what was going on, um, did they... In what way did that, what what form did that take? Did they, was there this kind of, we're going to be just quiet about it? Was it they kind of knew, but they um, minimized it in various ways? How did that look like? Where everyone kind of knew, but for some reason, nothing ever
0: materialized? Well, um, when you have the police constantly called in uh, to a small neighborhood, (laughs) Uh, in the middle of the night, it's hard not to know what's going on. Yeah, mm. when the screams are you know overheard in the hallways, mm. it's hard to not know what's going on. When um, when things are getting smashed, you know, uh, and people are uh, screaming, you know, at the top of their yeah. lungs, healthy, you can't avoid but know what's going on. Uh, the church, well. You know, when when you go to church and you have a black eye and you have bruises in your face and you put on sunglasses, mm-hmm. it's hard to not know what's going on yeah. Uh, yeah, when it was you there. have uh, family gatherings and your fa- and your father just goes berserk in the middle of a family get together or some kind of Christmas activity or some kind of holiday. It's hard not to know what's going on. Yeah. So people did,
1: they knew that was going on,
0: the gross, going to the grocery store, going to school, um, you could tell even as a child that there were people, you know, whispering, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as you went to school, uh, teachers kind of, um, being a a little bit kind of standoffish, not knowing what to say to you, um. So as a child you under you know that they they know what's going on it's just yeah. it's just that 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 communal complicity that that underlying factor that you know people know what what's the deal but yeah. nobody says it I you see. you can't as a child talk about it of course because it's there's such shame and yeah. and um, and and despair and and almost there's there's a level of, of just feeling, just disgraced that mm-hmm. this is going on in your home, and and not being able to say anything to anyone, and yet at the same time knowing that they do know what's what's the what's the, they have to because the cops what's going, going on, on. yes yeah, yeah. they know yeah. what's going on no none of the adults in my life would speak about it.
2: Mm. So it's kind of like yeah. all the outward signs were there, and so there's it's undeniable that. They, they knew what was going on. It's just that they didn't say it in front of you or do anything.
0: Yes, and sometimes you would overhear as a child. I would overhear conversations, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of whispers um, when, you know, people would tell my mother, why are, you, why are you still there? Why don't you just get out? And then, you know, the conversations would go something like, well, what am I gonna do with these with my kids? Yeah, you know? why why would you just go? do this you know? or that? Um yeah. he'll find me if I leave. And so we did do those types of things where we did leave for a period of time, but he yes. would find us. Mm. And yeah. you know, that would that would create another issue not only for us, but it would create an issue for the ones who were giving us uh haven. Mm. Yeah. So that created problems for them as well. Mm. So it became to where, where do you go? Yeah. Who do you talk to? And if and if you do talk to, are they safe people?
2: Mm. Yeah. And then if you talk to someone and they are safe people, maybe they won't be safe. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yikes. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and launch into... Um, Just overtly, the group patterns behind abuse. Um, So, you know, that gets into this idea that um, it's not just one end. We we all know, like, a lot of us by now know there's abusive people out there, they're bad, they shouldn't be abusive, you know, great. Um, But what kind of enables these people, these individuals or groups, to wreak such, like, horrific havoc, oftentimes on more than one person? Um, and to keep going, like what, what are some of the group patterns behind this abusive behavior?
0: Well, there's a variety of patterns that are kind of almost like a mosaic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I say that in a, in a, in the evil sense of the word, yeah. not in the beautiful sense of the word, because, um, there's intricate patterns, fear, intimidation. Um, my father was a big guy. You know, yeah. he's, he was pretty intimidating. My mother was barely five feet tall, very petite, always mm. been petite so um yeah, it's 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 hard to stand up to someone like him, yeah. very boisterous very uh and then also he was very charismatic very mm. very handsome, very attractive, so a lot of times people would say, "Well, he can't be that bad mm. and he's so nice he's so charismatic, he's so friendly, he's so happy-go-lucky, but...
2: um, So there was some cognitive dissonance in the group, because... Yes. Well, you know, first of all, there's a power difference. Um, In this case, he's a lot bigger than you guys. Yes. Um, Yes. And then, on top of that, he's got the group's, like, favor, in a sense. Despite all the other roots And there's (laughs) also
0: the re-victimization of the person who is the survivor of abuse Mm -hmm. because many people would say, well, why is she with him? Mm,
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, why does she still stay there? Um, yeah. What did she do to provoke him? Yeah. Because he seems like this type of person. So why is it that he always changes into this other monster? Mm -hmm. Is it because she has, is, is she at fault in any way mm. in this? Is she mm. a? Is she bringing out the worst in him? Maybe no. if she was kinder. Maybe if she did the dinner uh, five minutes before he came in the door. Well, maybe if she uh, submitted maybe more. Maybe if he said this or she said no. that. Mm. No. So those kinds of things are in the back of people's mind and and they subtly and sometimes not so subtly, mm-hmm, yeah. would say those things. And so when the victim is re-victimized by her community, then that's where the communal complicity becomes very, very entrenched. Yeah. And so, then yeah. Mm. and you get it from the neighborhood, you have it from your family, from your own family, um, mm. and then you have it from the church. So it's a three-fold cord, and it's, it's not... It's not something that you can then where is a safe place that you can go to and talk about this stuff without feeling that you're going to get victimized again.
2: Yeah, cuz that's the other thing and this is why a lot of abuse victims do not come forward. It's because Exactly. Yeah, you will you will get abused again by the group. And what yeah. a lot of people don't understand is that's considered by most abuse victims more painful than the actual bruises. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, gosh. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, yes. yeah, it's, it's crazy, because it's a, you've got a form of isolation happening there, too, you know? Yes. It's also interesting, it's kind of, I mean, to over, maybe simplify, it's like, well, he's not mean to me, so what's your deal, you know? And that's kind of the, exactly. that's the thing, that's, that's what abusive people do, they know, they, they go after one person, they're nice to everyone else, and that's how they, that's how they do it. Um, <laughs> because everyone else goes Well, oh, and it's yeah.
0: predatory. Yeah, it is. It's predatory. Yeah. Because because they are very skilled in being one persona to yeah. the public and then another persona in private. But the thing was that with in as as the abuse escalated, they those that persona shatters mm, because yeah. then that anger or that rage will come out. I've mm. seen it come out in in clergy people who are who are abusive, their language, their rhetoric becomes very toxic, very visceral. Um, whenever they're, they're they feel like they're disrespected,
2: yeah, that's that the big set off for abusive people. That How dare the trigger you? trigger
0: cuts off, and <laughs> they will be as mean spirited as as they possibly can. So, I've seen that in in other circles as well. I mean it's the same pattern. it just escalates in different ways, but it's the same pattern. It's the same visceral. Don't disrespect me, I'm in charge. yeah, I'm the head of this. yeah, um, my image is this in the public. Don't damage my image. if you do, how dare you? Yeah, it's your fault.
2: And a lot of times, they've integrated themselves into the group as well, so that their image becomes the group's image. And so, if you're going to quote support the victim, you're going to essentially, in their in their eyes, smash their image. Yes. So that's that's Uh, pretty crazy, and and that
0: and that can lead to very. um, That could lead that there there will be repercussions for that. Okay actually, can you explore that a little bit more the what uh, but some of the repercussions the repercussions in 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 cases in cases of abuse they're the they're the same pattern whether it's abusive or predatory. I find that yeah. that has both has been the, a a um, there's a common thread between an abuser and a predator hmm. of course the predator will will look for the weak link, but so will the abuser yeah um they will also groom the yeah. victim, or and the groom uh, too, to where yeah. where you know the abuse happens, and then right after the abuse, they're very sorry. They want you to forgive them. They they'll never do this again. Um, you know, this was a bad moment. This was a, a bad day I had, and so they they regroom the victim to where they give gifts. Uh, Gosh, like flowers, it, yeah. whatever the victim would like, they'll take them out. Yeah. They'll, do, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be almost in this honeymoon stage once again, and then until the next until the next cycle. Yeah. And then the next cycle will become progressively worse and worse yeah. and worse to where yeah. um, at times it can lead to an assault where where the victim is 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 either critically critically assaulted uh, where they have to go to the hospital, or they're or or they're killed. Yeah. Um, thankfully, in the case of of my in in my family dynamics, my mother was able to flee before that. But yeah. Yes.
2: Can you explain? Um, you you've mentioned some things, like what? So if you could, could you define grooming and then give some of examples? Um, so for instance, you mentioned gifts too. But what what are what is grooming and what are some types of grooming behavior and maybe help some people from the outside looking in um, understand that how and how this is like grooming so for instance it's like the classic uh, well the stranger offered you candy why don't you take the candy you know see they're nice like just kind of maybe explain to them a bit. Um, how it's not being nice per se. It's it's got very particular yes. purposes. So yeah, define yes. it. Some examples. It it, it,
0: it is yeah. a strategy that abusers and predators have in common. Um, both use utilize uh, gifts, uh, flattery, compliments. Um, you look nice. To where you look really nice, to where you look gorgeous. To they they feed on the on, on that person's uh, self esteem. They make them feel so good. They're so nice. They um they they if if they're predators, they we, we weave themselves into the family dynamics, the family unit.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, they may they may start with the with the with the parent. They may start with the dad. They may start with the mom. They may infiltrate the family unit that way. So it's like they, they try to may, buddy up with someone
2: may, in order to get close to whoever it is yes, they're targeting. Yes, to, like to the child. victim. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. So they don't necessarily go right for the victim. Right. They insert themselves into the family dynamics. Hmm. And once they're into the family dynamics and the and the boundaries are down, because that's what they're goal is and they, it, it could take time. They're very patient, yeah. so they can, they will infiltrate that family unit until they build that trust to where they, they are, they are able to go in and out of that family dynamic and be even part of that family considered part of the family. Hmm. Hmm. And once they're inserted in there, then, then they can have havoc. Because that family is, especially with a with a predator, a predator will will not go. Uh, and that's a, a myth that sometimes people will say. Well, they'll go for the child. Well, a high a a, a very skilled predator will yeah. not go for that for that child first. They'll go for that family dynamic. They'll see them in the park. They'll they'll make friends with them until again until they get in, infiltrated in there. Yeah. A lot of a lot of them will kind of survey the land
2: yeah hmm. is is this child protected you know is there exactly. a lot in their life that i can fill um
0: exactly
2: and there's usually an attraction element there too like these people are pretty sick um can you um maybe give some examples uh because you know there's an there's an example of a child getting targeted can you give some examples from like a uh, maybe a church context or a parachurch context or work like some, maybe a couple of examples of how this would work with like an adult.
0: Um, in church context, those are the most dangerous ones hmm. because the clergy, the clergy person is considered a man of God, for example. Yeah. They are considered a uh, connected with God. They are, they are considered uh, having a, you know, almost a uh, a a conversation with God that is holy and sacred. So when that clergy abuses that power that has been given to them by the mere fact that they are the pastor of that church, a lot of people will say, "Well, if my if that pastor will go." wants to take my daughter mm. who is 14 years old and take her out to dinner. There's nothing wrong with that yeah. because again, they've inserted themselves into the family dynamic. Mm. Oh. We had a case here in, um, in Texas where the pastor had a routine of taking young girls, um, in their teens and taking them out to dinner.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, and the parents were, you know, again, he would prey on, you know, certain certain women of in the church, especially single mothers mm. who were raising their kids. So, wow, the pastor is going to take my daughter out to eat. Wow, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Again, he's already inserted him himself into that family dynamic. Yeah, in the wider it church came dynamic. Out that yeah. It, yeah, it came out that this man was not only a predator, but he was a serial predator. Yeah, one that had drugged these girls and had a certain, had a little apartment in a certain area of town where he would take these girls, drug them, and rape them. Yikes! And then take them back home. Yikes. They had no, they didn't know what was going on. They, when they woke up, they were dressed, and he took them home. Yikes. It was only after years of doing this that one of the girls woke up in the middle of what he was doing, and he was found out. Mm. But again, it's it's the insertion, the, the the way that they insidiously insert themselves into the family, and it's a pattern that that's that's both in abuse in abuse abusers and predators yeah. alike.
2: So that's how that's how the abuser operates, um, and you can see that they're trying to. You guys can all see that they're trying to. There's a strategy at work. It's not.
0: Most exactly, people are, it's no, very intentional. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's and it's intentional. That's something that people need to realize. This is not yes. you know, oops. Yeah, I just automatically do this behavior. I don't even realize it. Oh my gosh, no, no. no. They'll they'll play all those cards because they know that's what you want to hear. Um, they'll minimize it, but at the well, end of the And day, a lot of
1: people are willing to give a pastor a pass, so they're looking for any sort of excuse. That, yeah. Oh, well, that seems reasonable when to any normal person who hears that, their first thought is uh, fishy, it smells fishy. But with a pastor or, or a clergy, I mean, as you said, Rev, it's, it's one of those things where, oh, man of God um, clearly has a connection with God, clearly is ordained or, or anointed or however people want to frame it like that. He is above reproach, clearly by nature exactly. of being a pastor, and so okay, and it's like I, I don't know, it's just yeah it, it's it's one of those things where we kind of look and go, maybe we need to be a little more critical of our ministers and having I don't know, and maybe this brings us to a question in the future, but how to guard against this from a uh from a community church community standpoint, but yeah, also uh, like Russell's a parachurch. Done stuff
2: on that. Yeah, yeah, but also
1: from like a, an ecclesia you know or a parachurch or denominational. Uh, perspective as well because maybe
2: another yeah
1: maybe another episode yeah because that'll be a
2: good because she's i know yeah Crystal, you've done like some workshops on this um but
1: so it just means we have to have you back reverend yep
2: (laughs) just gonna have to come back (laughs) just keep appearing (laughs) yeah okay so um so going back so that's kind of how these people operate and it's all about getting the group on their side and part of it is you know as human beings we kind of default to um, known truth. You know, I mean, it's how we get through our day most of the time. We don't start out through our, we don't open the door questioning every single thing we we see. Um, so, you know, if someone has a complaint about, I don't know, Nick or someone else that I know, you know, my default is going to try to, um, if, especially if I think that I know Nick, um, is going to try to interpret whatever this other person is saying in light of what I think I know about Nick. Um, versus thinking about maybe even sometimes thinking, you know, behind what, what, what could be rather than what is. And I think that, I think people that are predators, they're doing that on purpose. So here's the, yeah, the difference is they've actually inserted themselves in, um, very key ways to hide. And sometimes they'll actually use other people as shields and to do their dirty work for them too. Um, so there's, you know, there's some, there's some dirty plays here, um, so going back though, to, since it's about communal complicity and we could talk about, you know, predators and abusers, you know, a lot cause you know, they're wreaking all this havoc, but let's talk about the group patterns, um, behind the abuse. Like what are, what are ways that the actual group is responsible? Because, um, I mean, sometimes it's, it's a lot more clear cut from the outsider looking in, you know, maybe there's bruises, you know, like you were saying, you know, the cops keep visiting, um. In what way, though? Because sometimes it's not so obvious as well. You know, sometimes there aren't physical bruises. I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's interesting. Like I know, even with some of my own stories, I tell other people, and they're just like, "How does no one notice?" It's like, well, <laughs> there's layers of groupthink here. Um, but in what ways are what? In what ways are group patterns behind the abuse itself? Like the group. So put, switching emphasis from abuser to the group actually becoming a tool for the abuser?
0: Well, I'll, I'll go back to my, my neighborhood, right? Um, yeah. People knew about what was going on. It was obvious that what was, what was going on behind closed doors, but nobody talked about it. But yet, if um, if there was a gang, let's say, for example, there was a guy that was in a gang, hmm. And he started hovering over the neighborhood. Oh my god! All the women in, said, "Watch out for that guy. He's in a gang." Okay. And don't let your girls next to him because he's in a gang. Or don't let your sons in because he's in a gang. So there was there was there there was a a, a community that that basically watched out for each other. Mm-hmm. So so I had that dynamic, but yet when it came to abuse or predatory behavior. Everyone went silent okay. and I couldn't understand that for while, while I was growing up. It was only as I became an adult and I started to research this and, and started to look at the psychological aspect of abuse and predatory behavior and how the community was complicit was where I found that there were areas where religion and complicity kind of mashed together. Okay. Um to where where you had to forgive, and these were people some some of these people that were into the hyper forgiveness mm-hmm. weren't necessarily church people or you know that were at, you know going to church every sunday or 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 were part of a, a a church community, but they were people that had been grown up had grown up with the sense of you know you forgive people. You say the, you know, you say they, they knew the part of the Our Father where you forgive,
2: yeah.
0: um, forgive them, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, my gosh. People knew that scripture right there. Yeah. You know, and so you, they would always say, well, you've got to forgive them, honey. You know, I mean, they did bad. They did. People are human. People do bad things. Um, but you've got to forgive them. But, but what happens with those kinds of narratives is that, how do you excuse criminal behavior? <laughs> yeah, and they're not because doing that abuse with the gangsters. Is criminal behavior. <laughs> well, gangsters so will you be gangsters. say to a person that just murdered your son, go forgive them, honey. Oh, it's nothing. They just killed your little boy. That's okay. Forgive them. Forgive <laughs> them, them their trespasses me. as we forgive those who trespass. Trespass against us. You would never dare tell a mother who has lost her son in in some gun, you know, some drive-by shooting that that you just need to forgive those people that shot your son. You would never do that. You would never tell a person who had gotten surgery and um, they were supposed to get their left foot amputated, but they got right foot amputated. (laughs) Instead of the left, the doctor made a mistake. And so they, they, they amputated your left foot. No, no, no. They left they amputated your right foot. And your right foot was right was good, but your left foot was the one that was got the gangrene. Everyone but makes no, you did sometimes. a mistake. The doctor made a mistake. So forgive them their trespasses. Yeah. As we forgive those who trespass against us. You would never. You would sue the pants off of that hospital and sue that doctor and take their license away because he was a <laughs> Black. He was an in, incompetent, you know, um, doctor, surgeon. How, how in the world can you just mess up on a surgery and, and cut off the wrong part of somebody's body? You would never excuse that. You would never excuse someone that who just murdered your, your boy. But yet, we do the same type of premise when it comes to abuse or predatory behavior. Yeah, and we in say, the "Oh, he sexually assaulted my child," but you've got to forgive him because he's a clergy person.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, he's a man of God. He failed. He he did this. Well, let's just forgive him and let's send him to another, you know, so another state, so he can where start he over. Can be another, you know, prey pray upon another kid. Yeah, you know, so it, it's not our problem anymore. Church, let's just send him out somewhere else. Let's send them to Honduras because you know Honduras has a lot of poor people. Oh. Let him do work in Honduras and pray over little kids in Honduras. You know? Yeah. Well, but he we said he was we really do sorry. that in the church.
1: Well, he said he we made a mistake. We do that in the guys. church.
0: We send them to different places. We did that with other denominations. I won't say who it is, but yeah. you know, we all know who did that. Yeah. Um, we do that with churches now in the 21st century. We still do that. Um. We say let's forgive them and let's have mercy, but these are people that are really dis not not I wouldn't even say dysfunctional because that's not even a good word for people yeah. who do these kinds of things. These are these are criminals. These are these are people who are flawed psychologically, mentally, um in every single way, these people have criminal intent.
2: They've said in their hearts, "There is no God. We're going to do whatever we
0: want."
1: <laughs> or they've managed to convince themselves that God's on their side.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: and that's how they which can is justify. the
0: which is the worst one. I would say the one that says God is on my side. Yeah, or the one that says God is a gracious God. Yeah, and God. And God wipes my sin away as far as, and takes it away as far as the east is from the west. They have a lot of scriptures with these people. These people know how to use the scriptures to their own benefit. So so what I'm saying is, we have to look at this as not a mistake, not as just a sin, but yeah. as a criminal intent. When someone abuses another person, and beats, the, beats them to a pulp, sends them to the hospital, and then does it again... Three months later and does it again three months later and then does it again three months later or a predator that you just sent to another Latin American country and abuses a hundred other kids over there or sends them to another church And they do the same thing in another church, and then they send them to another church, and they does it again. This is a Serial predator. This is a serial abuser. This is a criminal so we need to have laws in place And we, as a church, need to exercise those laws that were given to us to maintain safety within our congregations.
2: Yeah, let me ask you this, Um, you know, on that vein, what's the group benefiting from? Because they wouldn't, like, they wouldn't say this about, like, you know, to use your earlier example, the gangster, like, they, it's, this is, they make these excuses for people that are, quote, in-house, like, what is the group benefit? how is the group benefiting from um telling the victim the forgive narrative? And again, like Nick and I, we do not take um their definition of forgiveness or grace. Like these are horribly warped understandings of the term and um very misapplied. But how is the group benefiting from these deciding to just um say, well, you just gotta forgive? Well, it's just gotta be grace, well, we just need to send him um,
0: to Honduras or wherever. Well, there is a there is a grooming that I have found that happens within communities. Okay. Especially when it when when it comes to clergy abuse, there's a grooming that happens with that, and and again, it's not just men that that do this. There's also women predators yeah. as well. So I want to be able to state that. And there's there's not just women that are being um, abused in churches. There's there's little boys that are also in teens that have been abused in yeah. churches too. So I want to be able to make that distinction too that the, this is not just a female-male dominance. Yeah. There are children that have been abused that are male uh, within churches. So yeah. I want to make that clear too. But the grooming process in in churches is a very insidious, uh, a very toxic, slow, I call it slow arsenic that happens in churches. It's like, you know, you pour a little drop of arsenic in a glass of water. You can't detect it. So they
2: don't just Uh, show up and say, hey, I'm going to use your
0: kids. Like, (laughs) here I am. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so so it's a small, it's a slow process desensitizing a, a a community, mm. um, and a lot like of it. these uh, clergies have have the mic, mm-hmm. and so they utilize the scriptures to their own benefit. So they groom their their communities. They groom their churches. They they uh, insert themselves in different uh, family dynamics. So they 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 get to the point where they have their allies. Yes, they have their allies. And so these are the people that will defend them to death. Yeah. To the death. They will defend them. Yeah. They will say, oh, come on, let's get over this. Um, Let's move on. I just had one in Twitter that came against a survivor. And her her premise was, this happened a long time ago. You need (laughs) to get over this. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you get over someone who has been... Uh, criminally intent who has done this, yeah. uh, we have laws in this state where, where, um, sexual offenders have to register. They have to say where they live, where they have, but in the church, we don't have that. We mm-hmm. don't have databases. We don't have places that people can say, well, what, why are you here? Why are you now mm-hmm. in Arizona when you used to be in Oklahoma? Uh, people don't check. They don't vet their pastors like they should. Okay. And so what happens is that these, these communities have their, these abusers have their allies. So they put those people as their references. Okay. And so when you have someone like this, they are not going to call the person that has discerned that they're not doing the right thing. They're gonna they're gonna put on their references the people that are their allies the people that they've convinced that they are the nice guy okay. that there's not there's nothing wrong with them and so that's where the community becomes complicit in these types of behaviors because again uh, they can't see they can't see past the the charisma the friendship and like I said this person on Twitter said. Oh, it happened a long time ago. You should get over Mm. it. So they're planting another church. So they're forgiven. Move on. All right, so let me. And I'm going.
2: Since we're they're uh, not a safe
0: person. They should never be in a pulpit. They should have a job. Get a job. Work in Amazon. Work wherever (laughs) you want. But do not work in a church. Yeah and please don't put this kind of person in a pulpit where they have the mic and they have access to children.
2: Yeah. Let me push back on it just a little bit and then we'll move on to the the final point. Um, uh, since they've been so, cause these guys are good. Like they they groom people, they, they flatter the right people to death. Um, it's also called love bombing. Um, they give lots of gifts. They just become a pillar of the community. Um, and then they single one person out. So it's easy to say, okay, that one person over there just has problems. Because yeah, we all know this person. We like them. We'll go to bat for them. Uh, we will provide references when they try to go to another church. Um, what, in what way is the community actually complicit, though? Because it sounds like, um, from what you're saying, that they're they've just been deceived. So maybe they... Just didn't know. I mean, yeah, there might be some outward indicators, but maybe it's just because the victim's causing trouble. You know, maybe they're not really a victim. Maybe they're just a troublemaker. And that's why, you know, we have all these other signs. How is the how is the group actually complicit and responsible for um, continuing to allow the victim to be abused if they're deceived?
0: If you have a person... That is going to another church. I, ha- I have a serious problem with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if they have had some kind of incident in your church, whether it was, it went all the way or didn't. Yeah. Um, it is your job to report it to the authorities, to the police. Hmm. Um, and that, that should be a, a, a matter of public record. Yeah.
2: So independent of your personal feelings. You should never of keep those kinds of
0: incidents in-house. Yeah. yeah. Yeah and if you can and, and if if you have an incident where the police is not doing what they they don't take it seriously enough yeah then you need to seek legal advice because to me if you know any any kind of uh incident with a person that is inappropriate it is your job as a as a human being to be able to um Bring accountability to that person. And I know that in uh, the situation where there was a person that was inappropriate, but didn't just had some things that were that were um, predatory, Mm. but didn't go all the way. Yeah. Um, When we confronted that individual in a church that I was in, they denied it left and right, which we knew he would. Yeah. But we told him he had to leave the church. And when we found out what church he went back went to, we alerted that pastor of what had happened in our church. Yeah. So we took steps to tell that person. Now we couldn't take them to the police because he hadn't done anything at that point. Yeah. But at least when we alerted the other pastor, the other pastor had at least some knowledge to watch out for this guy. And unfortunately after a time being he kept under radar and when he did come out and did something which we knew he was capable of doing, the pastor had already dropped his guard, Mm -hmm. but at least we had alerted him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it comes down to accountability. So it's, Essentially, the community, like your other community, had standards. They just didn't apply it evenly. They applied it to the outsiders, but not, you know, people that they liked um, who flattered them. So it would be applying the standard evenly and not making excuses when stuff happens, but basically following through regardless of how you feel about X, and, you know, in a measured way. So if, you know, and the thing is because they will will build up to it, you know. It's going to start incrementally But once you start seeing this, you address it. You don't just let it keep building.
1: Well, it's it's like you don't get to, the community doesn't get to play the part of pilot where they kind of wash their hands of it.
0: Exactly.
1: And they get to kind of like, well, we didn't know. It's like, well, there's a difference between not knowing and not watching.
0: Exactly. That's true. Very good.
1: It's like, if you can know, it's like, you may not be looking for it, but if something happens, you need to be able to understand it. And if you're not yes. willing to understand it or at least think about it, yeah, then you're then you're definitely culpable because you knew at least something was off you know the water was a different temperature than you thought, or what have you. you something was in the water and you noticed, and you didn't act when you should when you at least should have, and it's like that's something I've noticed with with churches, and we're there's talk in our denomination about actually like I've asked um people in our denomination. What happens if we find a, a minister who's ordained, uh, and he or she—most most cases a he, but generally speaking, yeah, most let's say he—does uh, something as you've mentioned, Reverend? Then what do we do about that? Because it's not one of those things where we can necessarily, like you said, take it to the police because nothing happened. Yeah. But you know that something probably would have. Yeah. Our denomination, as I understand it, will defrock that person. And if that person applies for anywhere else, basically, we'll, we'll alert that church. And I'm wondering if, um, just as kind of a general principle, there might just be something worthwhile in an ecumenical, in the best sense of that word, database where yeah. we basically say, look, this person did this. Um, yes. And I'm not sure to what extent we can go with versus, uh, I don't know. For example, there is something to be said about uh, would have but didn't and did. You know, I don't know how that legally works, if we can actually have that. Um, yeah. But there, I think having, I don't know, the idea of a denominationally or parachurch or paradenominational organization that keeps tabs on this sort of stuff would go a long way toward at least addressing the problem. But of course, then the problem, Reverend, as you know, uh, most denominations either don't seem to care too much about it, or at least are ignorant of it, or they're non-denominational churches where it's just we have us in our Bible and our church, yeah. you know, and so stuff will happen and there's no way for them to even know about it because they don't have accountability, as you said. Yeah. So it's one of those where it's just kind of interesting. I think the community um, seems very content to wash its hands of something it ultimately is not invested in or is not willing to be invested in. And that's, I think, where the big shame is. It's
2: the, Yeah, the lack of investment. Because, I mean, again, like um, predators will pick, you know, ideal environments too. Um, so what if that church, um, let's say the pastor came and wanted to take, you know, the young girls out and they're like, ah, sorry, that's kind of inappropriate. No, mm-hmm. nope, you're not going to. And we we we're all decide as a church that's inappropriate, you're not going to do it. Well, then that kind of disrupts his kind of progression and he, more than likely he would never have, you know, ended up there or gone somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these can be stopped pretty early on, you know, and some of the early grooming behavior too, like, okay. Um, person X does not want the hugs. They do not want the gifts. Like, don't pressure that person to accept, you know, tokens of affection they don't want, you know. Um, It doesn't mean automatically full sail that the other person's a predator, but it definitely makes your context a lot safer if you do have a predator.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, like, I don't know about you, uh, Reverend. We had a a gentleman that came to our church, and from the time he came in, my pastor, her and I both— kept an eye on him because there, you know, there's something going on with the guy. And it was one of those, I'm like, we, we can't just say don't come because we don't know anything. But when he would come, we would tell three or four different men in, in our church, we don't want him out of your sight. Now, all three of you don't have to be following him around, you know, like, you know, like
2: she st- kept sitting by young women.
1: Yeah. And so it was one of those where we told uh, different men in our church you don't all have to be following him around keeping an eye on him, but one of you at least has to keep an eye on him. Like just keep an eye on him. We're 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 uncomfortable with this. Um and so just keep an eye on him, we'll see what happens. And eventually he got the hint and left. We don't think he was a predator, we think he was more just kind of kind of a skis ball. Um
2: But
0: you never know. Like he
2: yeah. had a You never know. Of,
1: yeah. Yep.
0: And better to be safe. Yeah. Yeah, it was a select. Better pattern. to be safe. Yep. And so, um that that's that's the thing that we need to look out for each other.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, we are our brother's keeper. Yeah. And we are we are we are um, we have a mandate of by God to to inform each other yeah. of things that are 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 things that we're sensing, things that we're discerning, things that we're um uncomfortable with. That person um is too is too not ni- is too nice, is too uh Nice to those little, to the kids. Uh, oh, don't, don't, um don't judge them. They just like kids. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. A 40 year old that's always with the kids. Be careful. You know, there there's just things that need, that need to be just um explored. If you're yeah. uncomfortable with a certain person in your church, yeah. I think it's wise for you to say to the people in your church, watch out for that person. Yeah. Um, in communities if you're if you're we have to train our communities to be forthright in their information. And forthright, and, not and, just
2: behind the scenes, you know. Exactly. It's this is our standard, you know, and it's evenly exactly. applied. We're not mm-hmm. gonna just talk about so and so over here for an extended period. We're going to actually put an overt standard and hold everyone equally applicable yes. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. And we have to train people to to break the culture of silence because a lot yeah. of times, especially in religious circles, we have this culture of silence. Um, we don't want to judge people, you know, and we want to embrace <laughs> everyone and we want to be inclusive. Yeah. And all of those wonderful words that we use uh, are words that the predator just loves. Yeah, They love that. Oh, that church is so accepting and they're so inclusive, but they also will prey on that those types of terms and that terminology. And they'll use it to their advantage. Remember that abusers and predators are intent. Yeah. They are intent in abusing. They are intent to prey upon the weak. Yeah. So they are very intentional, very strategic, and very shrewd. Yeah.
2: And I think a lot of us just don't want to think about that a lot and I think it comes da- back down to what you said, though. Um, we need to look out for our neighbor. And then the question, of yes. course, that Jesus you know, um, answers is, who is our neighbor? And I think that's a good way to get into number two. Um, our, our second point, um, equity in the context of gender and race specifically. Um, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What are some of the... Because the, the, the reality is not everyone is considered part of the in-group, Um, and that's not always an overt thing. Um, what are some ways that, um, women and people of color in particular, um, don't necessarily get the same access and treated with, and basically the same benefit of doubt. And how does this relate to, um, group complicity in abuse?
0: As a, as a, as a Latina, as a woman of color, um, I've, I've had to deal navigate through these Uh, white institutions and and, uh, white seminaries and white scholars and white theologians. So all of my education has been in that.
2: Mm.
0: So much so that at times I have to make an intent to re-educate myself in my own culture Mm. because there's so much out there that is held in such high esteem that when you talk about uh, a Latina theologian or a Latina uh, scholar, it's almost like, oh, I don't know who she is or I don't know who they are, so therefore they are invalid mm. or their voice is invalid. I I learned a lot of things from my grandmother who was <laughs> who was not a scholar or a theologian. In fact, she was illiterate, but I much of the things that I had grown up and discern. Um, is because of her street smart, hmm. you know, to tell me to watch out for her. things that that she told me as a young girl growing up. Don't be so gullible. Don't don't be so naive. There's evil in the world. There's mean people out there. Yeah. Um, watch your back. Uh, things things that she told me as I was growing up that I still hold dear today. So so there is this this kind of. Um, Prejudiced within the uh, academic world that says it has to come from certain people and it has to come with this degree and it has to come from this institution in order for it to be valid. Mm-hmm. And we are doing a great disservice to people within the church because there's some people that are in the church that have experienced life experiences that we are not tapping into. And I think that in that in that uh, sense, we are complicit um, in our in our uh, we're communally complicit in in allowing only certain people at the table, and only certain people to speak, and only a certain certain people to be respected or held in high esteem. And the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, used ordinary people, jars of clay, where the treasure was not what was outside, but what was within. And we do a disservice when we don't talk about race and the isms that racism does and the, the stereotypes that we have in terms of people that come from certain areas of our globe. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And I think that there are people within this humanity that can speak to us that are not from our context but yet can speak some tremendous wisdom and discernment and uh, words that will help us to navigate these challenging times that we're living in. But they're not going to be your European, white, Anglo-Saxon, American, nationalist uh, voices. Yeah. So we have to do we have to do a paradigm shift in terms of our leadership and what we respect and what we honor. So and there's what a we dishonor and disrespect.
2: So you're saying there's an automatic so there's an automatic respect response to certain individuals yes. that's not afforded to others. Um, yes. How does this transfer to um, most of us? Because most of us are not um, experts per se. I mean, maybe in our little communities, um, perhaps. But, like, maybe we're just all at a church, and um, how, how does that translate to someone that, you know, is either... Maybe um, a woman of color. Um, that's, um, it does, how does that influence um, her likelihood to, number one, get ab- uh, selected for abuse? And then, number two, how does, how does the group complicity and assumptions about gender and race... oftentimes very implicit and unknown. unknown. How does that play into how how she's received if she speaks out against it?
0: I, um, of course, I come from my own context, right? Yeah. We all come from our own context. So when I come to these conferences, it's amazing to me that when I speak on scriptures that they've heard for decades, they always say this to me, and this is a, a, a universal thing that I, I hear all the time, every time I speak, is I've never heard it quite like that. Hmm. Hmm. I've never heard it quite like that. Yeah. And yet, it's, a, it's, it's out of the book of Ruth, yeah. it's uh, the story of Hagar, the, the story of Tamar, the story of the Samaritan woman, but yet when I speak on it, as a as a woman of color, as an immigrant, as a person that is not from this social context, when I speak on it and I bring I bring those things to the table, people will invariably come back to me and say, "I've never heard it quite like that." Mm-hmm. They're not saying it's wrong, right. mind you. They're not saying it's 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 error or heresy. Right. They're just saying I never saw it that way. Yeah. So that tells me that the voices that we are hearing are not necessarily the voices that we need to hear in this hour. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Because we always gravitate or we always default to the, va- the, the the people that we've always heard. Yeah. Or the Or the things that we've always heard and the way that we've always heard it. But when a woman of color comes in and opens the scripture and and shares the scripture, even in her voice and intonations, it's going to be different. And I'm saying that in this context of such polarization, we need to hear from these women of color because their voices are bringing to us a context that we have never heard.
2: Hmm. So we need to basically be able to recognize other people as our neighbor, you know, um, as one of us and be able to adequately hear their voices in the first place.
0: And I would go further than that. I would say that in order for me to receive a neighbor, I have to respect that that person is my neighbor. Yes. Hmm. I have to identify them as my neighbor. So if I don't have an identification with that person, if I see them as a minority, yeah. As I see them as a marginalized, as I see them as a disenfranchised, as I see them less than I am, mm. if the power dynamics uh, blinds me from seeing their value or my entitlement, or 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 the things that I value, I don't value in them, then they don't. They are not necessarily going to become my neighbor, yeah. and they're not necessarily a voice that I'm going to hear or value, or respect. So I I think the context has to be changed to where it's not just a pretty saying of saying, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I need to learn who are my neighbors. That's why Jesus' parable of the Samaritan was so radical, because he didn't use the hero in that story as a Jew or as a rabbi or as a Levite, he didn't use it as the elite people of in, in that social context. He used a marginalized person, a disenfranchised person. He used a person that was hated by that community, and he spoke into a Jewish community and said, the hero of this story is not you. The hero of this story is the person that you hate. So now tell me, who's my neighbor? After he tells them the story, he says, who's the neighbor? I mean, it had to be such a a hard pill for them to swallow, to even identify the Samaritan Mm. as their neighbor. Yeah. Because they despise them. Yeah. And yet in that social context of Jewish culture, of Jewish Jewish elitism, he tells them, let me tell you about who your neighbor is. (laughs) and who did the right thing and he says and he tells them the parable and then says now you tell me who the neighbor is <laughs> now you tell me who did the right thing yeah
2: it seems like uh, in a lot of this like the theme that's coming up is the inability versus ability to actually see people you know for for who they are you know and coupled with that um Silence, either um, functional, like where we actually shut people up, or you know, or or not. Maybe it's just simply that they speak what we don't really hear what they're saying.
0: And I think that the neighbor, in the context, if you if you look at the Samaritan and you look at his conversation with you know, his parable of the Samaritan, and then you look at his theological Discussion with the Samaritan woman you look at both of those stories and you look at the dynamics there the male and the female Samaritan You see that he uses the very person that we did that that community devalued Yes, so so for me The neighbor is always going to be the person I devalue Mm. Or the person that I think is less than Or the person that I think I'm not responsible for. Yeah. Or the very person that I feel like I'm not accountable for. Mm. So the neighbor is not really going to be that person that maybe I like or that I have a rapport with or that I'm instantly gravitated to. The neighbor is going to be the one outside of my peripheral view the one that I'm going to have to be intentional and kind of turn my head to look.
2: Yeah. Intentionality.
0: Yeah. Mm. So when you come to racism, those, those two stories are dealing with gender, it's dealing with racism and it's dealing with communal complicity. If you look at both of those stories, those three things are in those stories, the community that that was complicit, you see the racism that was there, Mm. And then you see the gender equity in those stories.
2: What are some things? um, Because that's the key to being intentional. Um, Because the thing is, the person that's your neighbor is not—you know—again, it's that person that you don't recognize as such. What are some things that, like all of us, you know, Nick and I, our our listeners, um, what are some ways that we can? maybe understand um, ways that um, women and um, people that are um, ethnic minorities actually are not experiencing the community the way we do. You know, Um, I think, and I know from, you know, more um, a gender perspective, um, I have a lot... (laughs) I'm not, quote, allowed to do things that my male peers are. And a lot of them just don't know because that's not their experience. You know, they don't know um, that if I'm, you know, a bit more assertive in certain circumstances, um, that will have very harsh consequences on just me. Um, What are some things that you think that we should take away and consider as we just kind of Um, go through, go through our day. You know, we, we show up to church, we show up to work. We, um, yeah.
0: What are some things? Well, when you're talking about equity, you're talking about win-win. When I talk about an equitable transaction, I'm talking about a win-win. And so in relationships, if, if, if I am winning, and the person that I'm in relationship is being devalued, then that's not an equitable relationship.
2: <laughs> yeah. How do you recognize someone? So you lo- that? you have
0: to look at it almost like an accounting, because equi- equity is, is kind of like an accounting term. So when you're looking at relationships, whether they're in the church, anyone that doesn't have a seat at the table, it's mm. not equity. If you're looking at your table and it's all guys, And it's all white guys, then I'm telling you right there look around. You have, you have, that table right there is a sign to you that there is, there is not, there's no equity there. If everyone is black, there's no equity. If everyone is white, there's no equity. If everyone is white male, there's no equity. If everyone is there is white female, it's no equity. So we, we have to look at it from every angle. What is an equitable relationship within the church? What voices are we listening to? What books are we reading? And what things are we valuing? So if, there, if you've never read a book by a woman of color, then you're going to have a hard time understanding what equity is. Because mm-hmm. if all your social context is, is in the white world, then that's that shows you right there that there's no equity in your life. Hmm. So you have to have voices that speak to you from different venues. And I'm not saying you have to agree with one hundred percent of everything. Yeah. Because that's not gonna that's not gonna be possible. I mean you don't you we don't want we want unity, we don't want uniformity.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So
0: there are going to be things that are going to be differences between both of us. And we're going to look at things differently, especially in a theological standpoint, we're going to look at things differently. But if you're able to listen to my story and I'm able to listen to yours, then that's equity right there. Mm. But if I have to come to you and I'm always the one that has to make the initiative and I'm always the one that has to do the work of educating you of my social context, then that's not equity.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's how it That's an injustice right there.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's just a classic um, experience of discrimination. Um, And especially, you know, whether it's abuse or not, it's it's all on you to make a space for yourself, you know, despite how the rest of us are treating you. Um, Yeah, exactly. And
0: the burden then lies on you. Yeah. And that's a re-victimization right there.
2: Yeah, something that I've noticed, and we we talked about this um, privately a little bit. um, And then it it also gets down to like a difference in, you know, experience um, just between people that are discriminated against or not. I mean, you can almost count on it. Like if you're real, even if you're realizing that you're becoming discriminated in a group, um, one of the big things that they'll attack is your speech. So suddenly you'll be too loud. Suddenly you will be interrupting, especially women. You know, women are the interrupters, you know, no one else is. Um, It's basically norms that are acceptable to other individuals. So, for instance, maybe it might be normal in the conversation for men to interject. Suddenly it will be you as a woman or fill in the blank. No, you are interrupting. You are not, you know, that's not acceptable. Um, A lot of these are subconscious, though. So, like, I'll give you, I'll give my, like, listeners... Um, an example um, of what I mean. Um, I showed up to college. This is a a college dorm. Um, A bunch of freshmen, um, girls are very happy to be away from home, Um, yelling and screaming in the halls. Um, And my um, new friend um, immediately recognized um, in her words that black people are very loud. And I don't. I was just. I was shocked by that. Um, But the fact that she picked up, you know, only a certain, you know, swab of people, and designated them as the loud ones meant that there was a different norm of behavior for them versus all else. She didn't hear the volume of everyone else. She just heard those exact people. Um, So it's one of those things where you know, if you're in those spaces and. If you speak up, you're suddenly, quote, loud or annoying or a complainer or fill in the blank. You already have an uphill battle to go to. But how the thing is, you need oftentimes, like if you're especially if you're outnumbered, you need help from the outside to recognize your value as a person. How can people do that without being like paternalistic?
0: Well, I would say to your friend that that was a racist comment.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happened, but yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: and so so what ha- what happens is, is that is that we have this social construct that women need to be soft spoken. Yeah. And if their if their volume goes too loud, then then that's annoying. But I don't know if, if any of you have ever been to a football game, but I've seen <laughs> I know, some right? very loud yeah. males. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially white males. If you get them in a football game or in a basketball game
1: or in a hockey or game or in a
0: baseball game, they get pretty loud.
1: Yeah, I was the one shouting at my parents' um, house last night when the Maple Leafs were losing in hockey. So I'm one to talk about. <laughs>
0: And we sh- and they shout to the TV,
1: mm-hmm. so, so <laughs> that TV becomes the enemy. That
0: those kind of social constructs are 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 uh disc- discriminating, um, because we don't do that in, in social settings, we just we we do that um, when we feel that some be some people are getting out of their place. Yes, does that make sense? Yeah, out mm-hmm. of their place. So, so it's almost like yeah. stay in your lane you can be loud in here because we're going to permit you to be loud here, but you can't be loud over here. Yeah. Um, I have a a friend of mine that was in a, in a restaurant and they were, uh, they were, they're all Latinos and they were talking in Spanish and they were excited and they, and we as Latinos, we get loud (laughs) and there was this white woman that was very annoyed and went to them and said, shh, you need to, you know, uh, get your voices down. This is a restaurant, you know, um, to which they all looked at her and started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and they started laughing. They were laughing at, you know, And she went back to her table and was so annoyed because how dare they, you know, She's a white woman in a restaurant, and it's supposed to be like a library. And mm-hmm. but I, I would guarantee you that she would not have done that had it been a bunch of cheerleaders, yeah. white girls, cheerleaders. She would have said, she would have probably said, "Oh, those girls, they're just so loud." But she wouldn't have gone to them. Yeah. But because these were Latinos, she felt that she felt the right to go to them and tell them to be quiet. Yeah. So, so there, therefore, we have these these uh, rules, but they only apply to certain people and to certain uh, social contexts. Yes. And what I'm saying is, when those rules do not apply universally, then those rules are racist, mm-hmm. because we are trying to get people to conform to who you think they should be. Mm.
2: And oftentimes that's built off of a sense of entitlement. I can
0: exactly right.
2: You know, I'm entitled to and that to this. goes for gender.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. that goes for racism. Yeah.
2: Yes. All right. So it sounds like in turn, in terms of communal complicity, um, what like what we need is accountability. You know, not just for those other people, but for ourselves. Um, Yes, And universally, like you said, universally applied rules. Um, Yes. And especially being cognizant of what's actually going on. It it takes effort because we're going to automatically perceive, you know, people, whether they're, you know, the person that's targeted as an abuse victim or whether or not they make up a minority group um, that... You know, there's all these stereotypes about. Um, we're we're automatically going to make assumptions, and we need to necessarily we need to be wary of our own internal voice. And frankly, it's it sounds like um, be able to recognize other people as our equals.
0: And, and we have to measure that constantly. Yeah, is this equitable? Am I treating am I treating this particular uh, race, uh, or even religious affiliation. Am, am I, is it? Is this equitable? Would I say this if they were in this context? Yeah. Or am I saying this because they just happen to be a different denomination than mine? Or yeah. they happen to be a woman? Yeah. Or they happen to be a woman of color? Yeah. Or not the friend where of my does friend. <laughs> where Where do they fall in, in class? Yeah because we have these class distinctions whether we think we do or not.